Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard. This week on Beer is a Conversation, we've got two chats. I'm playing a chat that I recorded with Doug Donnellan back in March during the New Zealand Hop Harvest. Doug Donnellan is the Chief Executive Officer of New Zealand Hops, and prior to that, he was the head brewer of Australia's Malt Shovel Brewery and James Squire Brewhouses. Doug has over 30 years' experience in the brewing, beverage, and hospitality industry and is an internationally recognised beer judge. Anyone who knows Doug knows his entertaining love of good beer, and this is a great chat. James, who did you catch up with this week? Well, Pete Mitchum and I were at the Craft Brewers Conference in Adelaide last week, as you know, and we sat down with Sean Simmons, who's one of the founders of White Lakes Brewing Company in Western Australia. He's the head brewer there, and prior to starting White Lakes, he had a career of more than 20 years in the industry, starting at Hahn Brewing Company in Sydney in 1996. He had subsequent stints in the line business at Tui's, Forex, and finished up at the Swan Brewery in Perth, where he was brewing manager until it closed in 2013. So that's Sean Simmons, really interesting bloke. Let's get in and uh, chat to Doug. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Doug Donnellan, welcome to Radio Brews News. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, mate, no worries at all. It's the first time that we've uh, spoken on Radio Brews News, so I thought the best place to start would be telling us a little bit about Doug Donnellan and also uh, New Zealand Hops. All right, about me. Well, I've been CEO here at New Zealand Hops um, for 11 years, and uh, prior to taking that role up, I was the head brewer for the Malt Trouble Brewery in Sydney, and I was responsible for that brewery and also the James Squire Brew Houses. And back in the day, I actually um, was uh, a brewer with the Harm Brewing Company, and I held um, several other positions within um, Lion um, after the Harm Brewery was acquired by them back in the um, early 90s. It's an interesting career progression that we're, we're seeing a lot of brewers uh, moving into the supply space and particularly working with, uh, with hop suppliers. Is, is, is that a, you know, like a, a, a good thing for uh, brewers to be able to you know, maybe step out of the you know, hand over the mash paddle and get into looking at some things? And also, um, what, what is the benefit of having a brewer in, in charge of the hop companies? Yeah, the first piece to that, um, for me... I moved here as a lifestyle decision. I actually wanted to come and live in this region. Um, I was I was from Sydney and decided uh, it'd be a good place to live, but really couldn't figure out how I was going to get here. I couldn't see how I was going to get here on a um, on a brewing job. So um, I looked around and I just I found something else I could move into, and it sort of worked quite well for the cooperative at the time because they were looking for a bit of a change in direction and. Um, having somebody with brewing experience and an understanding of, in particular, the craft market um, and uh, sort of connected internationally, helped uh, with our marketing efforts and for us to try and take our brand forward. So I think that's what um, the brewer can can bring to the role of um, the hop marketer or hop broker 
gives their ability to speak the language, um, understand things like hop usage and and what brewers are actually looking for or communicate with them on, on a very similar level. Now, the reason we're talking to you today is that, at least from a brewer and a hop grower's point of view, it is the most wonderful time of the year because uh, the hop harvest has started. Well, it certainly has started here. It's, um, it started here a little early this year, so we're probably about four or five days ahead of where we thought we would be. Um, we've had some pretty spectacular summer weather, which uh, seems to have um, brought the the hops um, into maturity a little quicker than um, what we were uh, expecting. The season itself hasn't been um, a brilliant hop growing season. We had a very uh, wet spring, which um, wasn't great. Um, the winter was good. It was cold. and We know like it nice and cold, but the spring was quite wet. And then we had nothing to speak of, of any sort of summer. And uh, you really want to have those those long summer days um, and warm warm rains when you, when you can get them. Uh, but probably the most, I suppose, heartbreaking for the whole season has been the fact that we have had a lot of severe westerly winds. And one thing that hops do not like is... Um, there's too much wind, especially when they're when they're developing. So um, the season itself wasn't great, but um, now we've shaped up into um, what looks like some pretty um, great Nelson summer weather for the harvest. So I hope we can hold on to that for a few more weeks. Excellent. And uh, how's the harvest looking in terms of yield? Are we seeing a, a bumper crop this year? Um, early indications are showing that at best it will be average. Uh, we brought in um, Pacifica, which is an early variety here, and um, it's already shown that it's come in under under average or below average for for the year. So, it, it, different varieties will perform differently. It depends on how they respond to the conditions. Um, the Pacifica is actually a, a Hallertau derived variety, so those German varieties don't really like um, the the cool the cool conditions during the summer. So. Uh, it hasn't been a hasn't been a great year for that variety, but we'll have to see how the others come up as we get further in. Wait, can you just explain to us the structure of the New Zealand industry? For example, in, in Australia, the majority, the vast majority of the uh, hops are owned by the one company, HPA, and that gives them, you know, from the hop breeding program right through to packaging, full control. What's the structure of the uh, industry in New Zealand? Uh, you know, is it very much uh, still growers who sell into uh, New Zealand hops? New Zealand hops um, actually acts as agent. So the company is owned by the shareholders, which are the growers, and um, the hops are grown and they come into store and New Zealand hops' role is to process store um, and ship and, of course, initially to market those varieties. And then we take the, the funds from the sales and um, disperse them back to the growers. So it's uh, a classic cooperative model. It's grower-owned and um, the, the company, the balance sheet, everything um, for the company is all owned by the shareholders. Does that make for, uh, at this time of year when you've got the harvest coming in, that you guys have to sort of manage the logistics of uh, all the farmers and making sure that everyone's getting the hops off at the same stage of the, uh, the, the harvest? The on-farm logistics is actually a part of the farmer's function. So they deliver um, dried pressed bales into store and, and then we take out. We've, we've got um, what we describe as we're in, uh, we manage all the off-interests of the industry. So the growers pick and dry them. Um, they do have brand standards that they have to meet and, um, and so there are things that they have to have 
uh, as suppliers under their supplier agreement, but the responsibility for bringing the crop in um, lay with the, with the grower himself. And what are we seeing with the, the great interest that's in the uh, New World or the, 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 the Southern Hemisphere hops uh, in both Australia and New Zealand? Are we seeing uh, foreign investment coming into the New Zealand hop plantations? Um, there has a, a farm has recently been sold to, a, uh, to foreign ownership, and so it, it is possible for that to happen. Um, they have to go through overseas investment office criteria, um, but they can certainly, um, if someone meets the criteria, they can come in and, and invest. We've also had a lot of um, investment from um, local um, families and, and people in other industries who have been interested in getting into hop growing. So we've had somewhere in the vicinity now, I think, seven new growers have joined the cooperative over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. And we've got, uh, and because of the, the demand we're seeing, especially in some of our um, uh, more aromatic varieties, that um, we've got an increase now in acreage that we will see come on tap around about 40% over the next four to five years. Wow. And we are in Australia seeing, you know, a, a couple of very you know, micro hop growers uh, getting in and uh, people who've got a bit of land are, are experimenting with hops. Do you think it is a crop that you can grow commercially sustainably um, at, a, at a very small level or is it something that requires that high level of uh, you know, agricultural understanding and also you know, just the infrastructure um, at, at a higher level than just the hobbyist? I think at a, at a small volume, uh, you possibly could do it in a lifestyle situation uh, if you weren't dependent on, on hops. Um, if you wanted to supply uh, your local breweries, it could be a possibility that you could operate on a small holding, but we, we generally see here that if you're modelling up a business plan, you, you generally need something in the vicinity of around about 20 to 30 hectares of land because, you, you know, you've got to reach a critical mass um, of supply across how many kilograms you can grow because you then have to fund the purchase of picking and cooling machinery, which is quite expensive, and also um, it's, uh, it's very specialised. So... Once you have that equipment, it's not as if you can use it for something else for the other 11 months of the year. You've got to, um, you've got to be able to, to have it there when you need it and, and then not have it there or have it there, but, but also when you don't need it. So there's a, there's a fair investment. Um, a holding here of that size would probably be an investment of around about $7 million, $7 million New Zealand dollars. So it's, it's not really something um, that you would come into lightly or as a hobby, but it doesn't mean that, you, that people um, couldn't have a couldn't have a go at growing hops on a smaller scale if they are prepared to um, do it more for uh, the love of it or even to make a small amount of money once a year on green hop sales, say, for instance. I mean, I, I equate that with uh, doing a little bit of backyard gardening and if I've got my uh, sort of you know, fruit trees out the back or I've got my uh, tomato plants out the back, as, as somebody that does it casually, the, there is a wild variation from year to year in, in, in the yields and the quality and those sorts of things. Is that true of hop growing? And you know, we do see brewers looking for consistent quality um, of their ingredients. And do you think that somebody who does it casually can get that consistent quality to supply a brewer? Um, I think that you would have to expect to see some variation. We even see variation year on year, not so much around quality, but yield in particular can be impacted a lot by the seasons. You know, horticultural crops 
um, are really dependent on on what happens and um, throughout the season. And as I said before, we had a very wet spring and uh, that has an impact on plant health as well because they don't like to have wet feet. Hops like fairly free-draining soil. So um, I think that you'd still find some inconsistency. But again, you know, if you're just supplying to two or three local um, breweries and you're only doing it on a sort of a annual basis, then that level of inconsistency that they would get could be uh, just right to fit in with whatever's being produced as a seasonal or whatever product they're making um, at that time. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, I've got a couple of hybrid plants growing in my yard um, at the moment, which I haven't actually strung. They don't have, uh, they don't actually have uh, a name or a designation. They're all growing from seed, but I think one day I might uh, run them up the string and see whether um, I couldn't make some homebrew with them or something and see how they come up. <laughs> now, just going back to the question about the, uh, you, you said a hop farm had been sold recently. Um, can you tell me where that investment was from? Oh, it's from the US. From the US. In, are you able to characterise that as perhaps someone who's looking at an investment or is it a, a US brewing interest looking to get in, into New Zealand hops? No, it's somebody who has a, an interest in selling hops into the market. I don't really know what their full um, marketing plan is because I'm not privy to the information, but I do know they're they're an American investment company and they intend to grow hops and ship them into the international market in some form. And, um, yeah, so it's a business investment that they've made. I think also fair to say that um, New Zealand's not a bad place to come and have a farm if you can afford it because it's a it's a pretty nice place to live so i think there could be a level of uh, lifestyle attached to the to the purchase of that property as well well that's interesting and it's obviously a vote of confidence in new zealand hops and the way that they're viewed uh, internationally yes well we've done quite a lot of work over the last say six or seven years to shift ourselves out of a commodity-based or focused industry into specialty and craft we've um, we've got a very active research program there's uh, a number of new varieties that have come out in the last um, four to five years, and we've got a couple of new ones coming through the research program. Uh, we're always we're always looking at new seedling selections every year um, through the research program, and so we've done a we've done a pretty good job. A lot of people are surprised to find out that we're as small as we are because we have a certain ubiquity internationally uh, in the industry. So when people see our hops turning up in in all sorts of uh, far-flung parts of the world, they, they think it's interesting that we could actually achieve to get them there. But, you know, it's a good product, and uh, I think there's some pretty um, outstanding beers that are produced with the New Zealand hop varieties, and also the fact that, um, you know, the guys that have grown them here have been at it for a long time. They've been growing hops here for over 160 years, and most of the families that uh, that operate the, the existing farms and even people who are coming into it have even come from hop growing backgrounds uh, traditionally so it's generational and uh, there's lots of uh, young people taking over the farms who whose grandparents and great-grandparents farmed the same land and grew hops so there's a big tie back to the to the whole tradition around this region and around hop growing. Is that international awareness of New Zealand hops behind the, the change in name of New Zealand Cascade? The reason that that name change came about was that we were coming up against people who were wanting to use Cascade when they couldn't um, find Cascade available out of the US and we'd say, well, we could sell you some New Zealand Cascade and they'd get it and say, well, this isn't Cascade. Right. And so when we've gone back and, and had a look at it, um, the reality is that um, although uh, genetically 
it was the USDA selection which came out as Cascade, it does actually brew um, quite differently. So we thought it best that we put some level of differentiation on it and just saying New Zealand Cascade wasn't cutting it for a lot of people. So um, we decided that we would just do the name change because it does brew quite differently than American Cascade. And uh, so we just thought that um, we would just bring it into the family a little bit. Um, all our other varieties have got um, sort of Maori place names um, or regional place names attached to them. And uh, Taiheke is actually what we've called Cascade, which is just a, uh, a Maori or Tarao Maori translation of the word Cascade in a form. So um, what we've done is just given it a, a Maori or New Zealand, attached a New Zealand name to it. Excellent. And uh, looking ahead to future harvests, uh, what have you got on the research and development front? Well, we've got um, we've actually got two new varieties currently that are um, that are a lot of interest to us, and we've got them in grower trials at the moment. Um, we're developing stock beds around them because you need to have material that you can plant, which is quite important when you need to to scale up. One of them in particular is something that we're fairly confident is going to have a, fairly, uh, a wide appeal. It's got a lot of um, sort of big fruity, punchy notes about it, so we think it'll be typically what you would expect to see in, a, in an IPA. Um, but we have seen some pale ales made with it, which have some very definite, unique characteristics. And we've got another one which is a little more subtle. It's got a bit of German background to it, but uh, it also has uh, sort of a, a crossing over between um, sort of uh, a German variety with a bit of a New Zealand twist to it as well that we've, in brewing trials, has done very well. So they're both coming on. We've always got our eye out for new things that are coming through the program, and we've got a little micro brewery or pilot plant that we put anything of interest through and just see what that turns up. And if we, if we think that it might have something which is a little bit special, uh, we'll then grow some plants and uh, give them to some brewers to have a bit of a play with and see what um, and see what they come back with and, and work on that feedback. The next step from there is to do a little bit of further market research as well. So, um, yeah, it's quite a, it can be quite a, a long process. Hop breeding can take up to 14 years. Uh, we fast-tracked um, a variety recently, which we put through in eight. So um, you've got to have a lot of good material to work from. Occasionally, you uh, you need to get a bit of luck as well. So um, we, we have actually been quite lucky over recent years with some of the varieties that we've managed to develop. Excellent. Well, Doug, I know it's a very, very busy time for you during Hop Harvest, so uh, we've taken up more than enough of your time. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News, and uh, good luck with the harvest. We look forward to seeing uh, what comes in. No, it was great. It was great talking to you, Matt. And uh, we'll have to catch up for a beer, mate. That sounds great. Thanks for joining us today. That was Doug Donnellan. And this is the interview that I recorded with Pete Mitchum and Sean Simmons. Well, Sean Simmons, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Great to be here and to catch up with you guys. Thanks very much. We're not often in the same state, so we've got to uh, take advantage of it when we are. We often start these interviews with a very simple question. Who is Sean Simmons? Uh, well, I guess I started brewing beer in the back in the mid '90s with the growth of James Squire and Chuck Hahn in the uh, in the brewery that was the Hahn Brewery, and then became Malt Shovel. Uh, so I started brewing with those uh, uh, stalwarts of the industry. Spent six years there, then uh, moved out to the larger brewery at 
Tui's in Lidcombe for another four years, then resigned and built my own brewery in Vietnam and had four years uh, of good times uh, living in uh, Trang and, and creating a beach club brewery. I came back to Lyon in mid-2008 and uh, working for Forex as a process improvement guy and then ended up at Swan Brewery in Perth before that ended up shutting down in 2013. Uh, as the brewing manager and then I've um, since gone out on my own and uh, created White Lakes Brewing in uh, in Baldivis just south of Perth uh, where we've been brewing for about 12 months. How did White Lakes come about? Who's the other partner in it for people who don't know and what's the business model? Yeah, so I, I've teamed up with a, um, a group of uh, second generation publicans, guys who have been in the uh, service, you know, the hospitality industry for well over 50 years, which is a great model to support a new brewing operation so they've been um, great partners to be able to get an audience for um, a new brewing operation we've got uh, some great venues to to showcase the the beer and the beer styles and get out there and get the punter interested in what we're doing it's great that that new project um, has come out of the closure of swan but what was it actually like when that happened Oh, of course, you know, the closure of any any site like that, which has such great history and uh, promise and is, has been part of the backbone of, you know, Australian history in general, I, I think is always very sad, but um, economics dictate that that's something that wasn't to continue, and, and whilst it was tough at the time, the beer market and the mainstream market couldn't support it, so I think that the flip side is that that's given the opportunity for WA to have a lot more to offer in terms of new breweries and new brands and, and everything. Yeah. Sean, is it kind of fair to say that craft is actually bigger than mainstream in WA? Because apart from, I don't know, uh, Big Chook Piss, you know, Emu Export, I don't know if, we, if that's that we don't, certainly don't see it over here, but we just don't hear, you know, Swan kind of disappeared as a brand. If you think of Western Australia, you ask most punters to name a beer from WA, they come up with Creatures or, you know, perhaps Colonial, not, not the mainstream. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think that with the, and it probably goes back to Matilda Bay, Little Creatures certainly, um, there's always been a strong undercurrent of, of um, independent beer brewers and and, uh, and independent brands and and so the beer culture from a WA perspective has always been really diverse and the disappearance of Swan has been disappointing but uh, there's so much more out there and breweries from all the way to uh, down to the Margaret River and even up north to Broome so there's just great diversity to be seen yeah. is the fact that um, like how parochial are West Australians uh, who do drink mainstream because uh, uh, like I'd be annoyed if you know if my VB for example if I was a VB drinker from Victoria and all of a sudden it was only brewed out of Yatla in Queensland I go well I'm not going to drink that anymore I would look for something else has the the shifting of Swan so it's still available but it's not brewed there has that had that same sort of effect it's uh, it's an interesting question. I, I'm not actually sure. Having left um, not long after Swan shut down, I don't have access to, to how those dynamics have changed. I, I think that the people who are loyal to um, the Emu and Swan brands probably didn't really... Um, uh, yeah, well, just didn't misstep. Um, and certainly Emu Export, surprisingly, has had a fair resurgence or, or a, um, a bit of growth over the last couple of years anyway with, a, with the younger generation. But, you know, I, I think that 
from a mainstream point of view where it's been actually produced as long as it's to the same quality measures and, and the, has the same taste that people aren't going to mind so much. One of the things I've heard from other brewers when they go and visit your brewery is that you know, there's a lot of bells and whistles there and there's, it's the envy of some brewers that I've spoken to. What about your background would have influenced how you, when you get to start and lay out your own brewery, what are the key things that you've learnt in your career that made you know this is the way I want to do things? Yeah, I, I guess I, I've been lucky in that to get a chance to build your dream brewery or, or your perfect brewery and, and it's also... I guess not my first rodeo either. So you, you learn as you um, work in different breweries and different sites what to do well and, and what to focus on. And, and so the beauty of White Lakes is I've been able to incorporate a number of those things to make it plant that, that is really easy to operate and really has nice clean lines, if you like, and, um, and works really well from an operational point of view. Tell us a little bit about, um, and if it's not a personal question, like how big is your kit? Like, tell us a bit about your brewery. Uh, it's 25 hectolitre brew length. Uh, we can do a million litres um, with the current setup that we have, uh, and that's only six brews a week at a time, uh, uh, a year, and uh, th so that's only with the current setup that we have in terms of tanks. With more tanks, we can obviously expand that and uh, and brew more. And keg only, bottle packaged. Uh, at the moment, it's keg only. Um, we're looking into our packaging solution. We've got such a great venue down there that we've decided that doing packaging on site isn't going to be I guess, isn't going to benefit the site as a whole so we've decided that when packaging does uh, eventuate that uh, it'll be off site so it's a bit of a change of what we initially transpired but uh, the venue is great and, uh, and people should come down and have a visit. Now, we're talking to you today, Sean, in the uh, Bintani Australia Radio Brews News Lounge, um, thanks to our very good friends at Bintani Australia. And um, you've just come off the back of uh, the Craft Beer Awards judging. Tell me, what was the quality of the associate uh, judges like this year? Oh, look, I think the quality of the judges uh, in general is always uh, very good. There are people that, you know, it's, it's a dynamic industry and you, you're constantly having to bring new people in to, to learn. Um, but it's always a very uh, congenial environment for learning and each year the, the quality of the beers seems to improve. So, um, you know, I think this year was another example of uh, another step change in how the beers are presented and, and, uh, and the quality of the awards. Well, ignoring that dig at me, um, Sean... Tell us about the lineup of beers that you've got at White Lakes and how you arrived at those when you when you were looking to cater for that particular local market from the outset what were you sort of thinking that you were going to deliver them I've got a personal passion for lagers and I guess from my perspective I, I just saw an opportunity where some really uh, flavoursome Lager styles were not the norm in, in terms of craft brewing. You know, everyone's there's a lot of pale ales, there's a lot of big hoppy beers, but um, some refinement and finesse almost in, in some of the lager styles has, has been, from my perspective, missing a little bit. And so that was some of the stuff that we wanted to do. And we've got a range of beers that's reasonably diverse. So there's the malt driven beers, and there's yeast driven beers, and there's hop driven beers. And, and you package that together with a bit of a lager 
um, undercurrent uh, and I guess when you get some really interesting styles that that people probably normally wouldn't come across in in that sort of environment yeah. so what what's the top seller oh that's really tough to say there's there's probably four that uh, of the seven that we produce that are neck and neck um, the Pilsner really does well and our standard which picked up a gold at Aber um, is a mid-strength English bitter which um, was really surprising but has done really really well as well. We've got a, uh, a draft lager that people find um, uh, really quite sessionable and then uh, we, uh, we also picked up a gold for the dark lager at the Perth Beer Awards and that's just a great winter warmer that's got all those molten chocolate flavours but uh, is easy to go back to. It's great that you're making um, you know a line of lineup of beers that are in keeping with your personal preferences but you do have to watch some of the trends that are happening in craft beer. When will White Lakes be adding a hazy IPA to its range? I'm not sure whether you'll ever see a, a Nipah uh, in our lineup. One of the, uh, I, I guess for White Lakes, one of the one of the principles has always been about refinement and finesse, and and so filtration also is a is a common theme as well as I, I guess uh, longer matured styles and and whatnot. So. Um, most of the products that, that we'll be offering will be filtered, not, not because um, I think that hazy beers taste different or taste bad, but because I, I think that that extra step of refinement is really important um, to get, I guess, that, that crystallisation of, of what the brewer intended the beer to taste like rather than having it change. Are you going to make any session beers? Uh, well, we already make session beers. <laughs> <laughs> what is a session beer? I'm just I'm picking on a couple of uh, your hobby horses that I, that I just want to needle you on. What is, what is, what is a session beer? I, I mean, yeah. um, S- session beer, or as we in the business call it, beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, look, you know, I think it's really important to, in, in terms of the session beer tag, I, I think, you know, part of the, a really important part of the Australian fabric is that ability to have beers that you can have a number of. I mean, the, the barbecue and the, the afternoon out and the six pack and whatever is all of just built into the Australian vernacular where we want to um, have a beer that, that we can have a couple of. So whether you call it session or whether you're just pinning it somewhere between four and five and a half percent is is anathema really. It, it's just about beers that we want to have more than one of. Do you think that drinkability, that concept of drinkability has been a little bit lost on some of the sorts of beers that are being put out by the the craft brewers? No, I I mean, I don't think that it's about drinkability per se. Everyone puts out great beers that are really interesting and have great flavour and um, great aroma. For some people, it's something that they can drink several of. There is a big market out there, though, that probably try one of those beers and go, yep, well, that was fantastic and interesting and flavourful and massive, but I don't know whether I could have more than a couple of pints, and so what has been lost is there's a there's a whole market of people that that whilst they would like to try those beers are looking for something that they can go back to um, again as part of uh, their daily sessionable routine. Well, mate, perhaps a good spot to finish on might be um, to remind everyone that. All things are relative, and Sam Calagione, when he was in Australia a couple of years ago now, described his 120-minute IPA as a session beer for non-pussies. 
So it's really beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I certainly love an afternoon having double IPAs and I love an afternoon having Pilsners and I love an afternoon also having uh, mid-strength uh, ordinary bitters. So there's something in that for everyone. There's obviously been a lot of conversation about you know the, the sort of separation of the big and the small brewers out of the independent brewers association you're someone who's probably got a pretty unique perspective on both different sides of the beer industry what are your thoughts on the association and, and the direction that it's heading in I think, look, I think it's a great direction to head in. I think independence is a very important point, as was covered a, a number of times during the sessions over um, the last couple of days. And, uh, and I think it's important for the committee and the steering committee of that to, to establish what their values are and what they're standing for and, and for the brewers to, to get behind that. Um, by the same token, I think that everyone wouldn't be here without the brewing industry as a whole. So it's important not to lose sight of where you came from uh, at the time that you're looking for the, what you're moving towards. So, yeah, look, it, it's... Um it's interesting times for for all involved and uh, I think that it's great to be part of an independent movement now and, uh, and I look forward to seeing what the IBA establishes as their core values and what they stand for and uh, moving forward. What can you tell people about the origins of the White Lakes name? Uh, we we're, it's, it's a, it comes from a location, so we sit in a uh, beautiful wetlands, designated wetlands area and, and Lake Walyungup uh, is an Aboriginal name for uh, this white lake that um, is essentially limestone. It's not a salt lake, but it's a limestone formation that uh, the Aboriginal people called Moon Upside Down. And so Lake Walyungup, or White Lake, as was known, and you'll see that in some of our um, some of our imagery that's coming through with the moon and moving over the lake in some of our labelling and, and identifying marks. So that's our location, and that's where we are, and we're just uh, creating some uh, great beer for our local uh, constituents and then looking forward to expanding from there well we might leave it there it's been a great chat sean uh, thanks for taking the time and um, look forward to catching up next time i'm in sunny baldivis looking forward to it too james and pete thanks for your input and we look forward to catching up again done thanks mate Thanks for joining us once again on Beer is a Conversation. Don't forget you can leave a review on iTunes or shoot us an email about who you would like to have a conversation with through your podcast. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week.